Well, um, it's uh, great to have those readings from our congregation members um, from their various homes, and uh, I'm appreciating the comments there that are coming through. Um, thank you, uh, Ben uh, and Judith, for commenting on the fanciness of the uh, technology. Yes, we put a lot of effort in. Uh, <laughs> um, well, uh, a question that I, I used to always wonder about around Easter time as as a young person and coming to church and reading through the Easter readings was what happened to Jesus after he died and before he rose? Like, where did he go? What, what, what was he doing? Um, was he just there lying in the tomb or was there more happening than that? The Apostles' Creed gives us an answer to this question. Um, it says this, I'm just going to read out the Jesus bit of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. And here's the key bit, he descended to the dead. Well, what does it mean by the dead? Like, what, what, what are they talking about here? So what I want to do this morning is, is talk about three things. Where did Jesus go? Where he went? Why he went there? And what does it mean for us? And I have to say, this is going to be a sermon where it's going to be a bit different to the normal sermon that I give because I won't be able to give all the answers. And much of what I'll say is speculation. Um, it's informed speculation, I guess. Um, and lots of theologians and scholars have tried to um, pull together as much information as we can get from the Bible. Um, clues. And, and the, the good thing is the clues point us to um, a main point, which we can be sure about, about purpose of Jesus' death and where, 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 what he did between Friday and Sunday. Um, so we can be confident about where we land, but I will be saying things that are kind of a bit technical, but hopefully I think it'll be uh, informative and an encouragement and inspiring even. I, I've found it really inspiring um, um, as I've been delving into this. So let's, let's look at where he went. Where did Jesus go at the point at which he died on the cross? Well, using a, a common metaphor used throughout all the Bible, it gives us a direction, as in like a compass direction. He went down, um, downwards, down into the underworld, down under the earth, into the underworld, into the abyss. These are all words that are used throughout the Bible. Not that long ago, the Apostles' Creed actually said he descended to hell. But this was an unhelpful translation of, of the creed. And actually theologically incorrect. In the original Latin version of the Apostles' Creed, hello, he's quoting Latin, it says he, he, de he descended to inferna, which means underneath. And um, the original Greek version of the Apostles' Creed said he descended to catetera, which means the netherworld. So he went underneath, he went to the netherworld, but it's still that's not giving us that much information, is it? Did he dig a hole under the tomb? What, 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 are, they, what are they talking about? Well, Jesus actually... Um, gave his disciples a bit of a prophetic uh, warning and instruct, or not warning, but an instruction about what would happen. Um, and it's the verse that I had quoted on the on, on the um, countdown page that you would have seen as you as you logged in if you logged in before ten o'clock. Um, Jesus said this: "For this is Matthew twelve verse forty. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth." The passengers on, on Jonah's boat had decided that they wanted to get rid of Jonah because he was a problem, so they threw him over the edge 
into the water and as a result he sunk down to the bottom of the sea and was swallowed by a big fish. And Jesus was predicting that he, who is like Jonah because he's also a prophet, although he's the greatest prophet, um, was also going to be thrown overboard by the Pharisees because he was proving to be a problem. He was creating a storm for them in their own religious world. So he was going to be thrown over the edge into the deep, so to speak. And when Jonah was in the fish, his fate was at the mercy of God. He was only going to be rescued miraculously by God. And in the same way, when Jesus was dead and buried under the ground, underneath, in the tomb, in the depths of the earth, he too would have to depend on God to be rescued, to lift him out. This is the place the psalmists call the pit, a place where Jesus would be cut off from the living. He would be completely dead. Now, getting back to Jonah, when he's there, you can read this in Jonah chapter 2, when he's there lying in the, in the fish in misery, um, thinking about what had happened and the decisions he'd made, the mistakes he'd made, it says that he cried out to God from the belly of Sheol. And this word Sheol is key because it, this is really what Jesus is referring to. In Hebrew, Sheol means underworld. So it's similar to the, the words that you know, we heard from the Apostles' Creed, from the Latin and the Greek, or the place to which people descend at death. It was metaphorically down under the ground. So a really vivid um, story from the Bible showing that how the Hebrew people think of Sheol being under the ground is from Numbers 16. And what, and what happens here is Moses is asking God to show a sign to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel regarding who was with God and who was against God. And this is what it says. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah, together with their possessions, they went down alive into the realm of the dead, which is and the actual word Sheol. They went down alive into Sheol with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. So the idea was that um, Sheol... The realm of the dead was down in the depths of the earth. And the Hebrew people were not dumb, so they were able to think poetically and using imagery. They didn't literally think it was down. In the same way, that they would talk about God being up, but they didn't literally think that God was up in the sky. It's just a metaphor. Now, in, in the other major biblical language, Greek, the word for Sheol is Hades. And you might have heard, heard that word used before which is also translated as the place of the dead. And to answer the question, where did you, so to answer the question, where did Jesus go when he died on the cross? A better answer than just saying he went down under the ground is to say he went to the place of the dead. Sheol, as the Hebrew people would say, or as the Greek people would say, Hades. Now let's just keep using the word Hades now so we're not getting complicated. What is Hades not? Well, it's not heaven. Um, when the resurrected Jesus was in the garden with Mary Magdalene, he said to her this. He said, do not, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, to my God and to your God. So he hadn't yet gone to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father on Easter morning. So what he was doing on Saturday wasn't that. So he, Hades is not heaven. And it's also not hell. Um, the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 14, says that um, hell 
the, pl the place of eternal punishment, is not yet created until the final judgment. Um, it says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire um, at that point. So Hades is neither heaven nor hell. So what is it? It's the place where dead people go, waiting for the final judgment. And from everything that the Bible says about Hades, it seems, and this is where we're getting to speculation land here, but we've got a bit of you know, um, support for this. It seems that in, in Hades, uh, there's, there's seems to be like two areas. Like an, um, so think about the parable of the rich man. You can see on the slide here, an area for the, the, the righteous and an area for the wicked with a chasm in the middle. So in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, where the selfish rich man ends up in torment in Hades, in Luke 16, he looks up to the beggar Lazarus, who had also died and had been carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Sometimes some translations say the bosom of Abraham, and it says in some, uh, and it says that the rich man and Lazarus were separated by um, a great chasm, and you can see that great chasm there in the middle. Um, uh, there was nothing Lazarus could do to bring the rich man over um, that chasm. Some suggest that the name for the area in Hades where the righteous Lazarus was called is paradise. Who knows? I, I don't know. The reason why they say that is because of what Jesus says to the thief on the cross. You know, um, when the thief on the cross puts his um, faith in Jesus, Jesus says, um, very truly, um, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, and he's saying literally, as soon as he dies, he's going to be in paradise. And some have speculated that that's kind of the name for the sanctuary in Hades where the saints go to wait the final judgment. Um, similarly, we've suggest some have suggested that um, uh, the, the place of torment in Hades is called Tartarus, which comes from 2 Peter 2.4 where Peter writes, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell, but he doesn't use the normal word for hell, he uses Tartarus, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Um, so Tartarus seems to be also this, this kind of wicked place in Hades um, where the angels, the rebellious angels who fell from heaven and the evil spirits and the wicked people all hang out together. So you might remember the story from um, when Jesus is casting out the evil spirits from, called Legion and they say to Jesus, this is the evil spirit, say, do not send us down to Hades. Now, this mapping out of Hades into the two areas with the chasm in the middle, um, it's speculative. But I've found that lots of major theologians kind of subscribe to this sort of broad brushstroke description of something which we're a bit fuzzy about. And I've, I find it a helpful way to think and to make sense of some of the things we see, especially we see lots of examples of God's people, God's righteous people um, dying and, and saying going, they're going to Sheol or Hades all through the Old Testament um, and into the New um, but also a sense in which the wicked go there too. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says 35 times in the New Testament that um, what God was, did was, was to raise him, ek nekron, which means out from the grave or out from the place of the dead ones, um, away from the company of de the dead. And so on Good Friday, Jesus went down to the place where all the departed spirits go, sharing the common human experience of death, of the disembodied afterlife. And then on Easter Sunday, God raises him up out of that place. Peter said in his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2 that he raised him up, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
A pang is a painful emotion, a sharp, painful emotion. And Jesus experienced the physical and emotional agony of death in every single way that a human being does. The separation of the soul from the body and the land of the living. So we, don't, we, we shouldn't think that Jesus kind of had a, a you know, a, a first-class flight from the cross to Hades. Like it was proper death. But the thing about these pangs of death was that they were in fact birth pangs anticipating Easter Sunday as the first day of creation. Jesus would be the firstborn from the dead. So where did Jesus go when he died? He went to the place of the dead and in doing so experienced all the pain and suffering associated with death. Well, secondly, why did he go there? This is where things start to get even more funky with our speculation. Why did he go to Hades? Three reasons. One, one reason is that he seemed to go there to preach. Now, this is, comes out of the, some of the readings, the, all the readings we had today. Um, he seemed to go there to preach the good news of his victory to the dead. Now, who did he preach to exactly in Hades? There's disagreement about that. So in our readings from 1 Peter, it says that he went and preached to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago where God waited patiently in the days of Noah, so that though they were judged in in the flesh by human standards, they may live spiritually by God's standards. Now, I have to say, I have no idea really what Peter's talking about here. And I'm on safe territory telling you that I have no idea because Listen to what Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther, you know, the, the, the one who began the Reforma- European Reformation and the great theologian, he tore his hair out saying about this verse, this is a strange text and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. So there's different ideas. Um, local theologian from Ridley College, Mike Bird, says he thinks probably what, what Jesus did in Hades was when he preached was he went to the place of the dead and declared his victory over the disobedient angels imprisoned there and reminded the wicked of the judgment to come. On the other hand, uh, Matthew Emerson, who wrote a book on um, recently, just come out on um, this phrase, he descended to the dead. Matthew Emerson says, he departs to the place of the righteous dead. So that's the kind of place, you know, the, the, uh, the sanctuary part of Hades otherwise known as paradise or Abraham's bosom. And he goes to preach to them there. Well, maybe perhaps we should side with, um, you can come up with your own thoughts there and read through those verses. Maybe you'll come up with something. But perhaps we should side with C.S. Lewis, who, um, who said in a letter to his friend, uh, Mary Van Dusen, uh, he said this, um, the doctrine of Christ descending into hell, remember that's what they used to say in the Impulsive Creed, the doctrine of Christ descending into hell and preaching to the dead, mm, that would be outside time and include those who died before he was born as man. I don't think we know the details. We must just stick to the view that A, all justice and mercy will be done, B, but that nevertheless it is our duty to do all we can to convert unbelievers. Thank you, C.S. Now, um, what we can say is, isn't it amazing um, how um, amazing the, the good news is, such that even in Hades, Jesus goes there to preach the good news. How, how magnificent and powerful is the gospel that in some mysterious way he taught it also in Hades. Well, 
why did he, why did he go to Hades in some kind of mysterious way to preach? Secondly, he went there to take the saints to heaven. So um, he he went there to bring um, the, the the saints um, for, of all out from being imprisoned in Hades and take them up into heaven. Um, it, it was, think of him like um, look at the, the, again. Well, let's return to C.S. Lewis, who in his book Miracles has this image of um, a deep sea diver searching for a pearl. You know, these are the, the divers that don't use, um, you know, snorkels or, or, or um, have oxygen tanks. He says this, <clears throat> Think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to colour and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing he went down to recover. Jesus descending down into the dead and bringing up the pearl. This is what our Ephesians 4 reading seems to refer to. And here Paul's quoting Psalm 68. This is why it says, um, and he's referring to Psalm 68, when he descended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. <coughs> what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower, lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul is saying that when Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, he took with him the captive saints from Hades and brought them out of bondage of death. And so what I'm about to say now is really important. Um, ever since then, uh, in terms of how we think about what happens to us when we die, um, uh, if we are believers in Christ, when we die, we do not go to Hades, um, but we go directly to heaven to be with Christ. So let's think about how, how can we know this for sure? Think about Stephen, the, the, fir the first, master, first martyr who was being stoned to death he could look up to heaven, see it open up while he was being stoned to death. And the glory of God, with Jesus standing at his right hand there, and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So there's a sense in which Stephen is believing he's going up to be with Jesus at the right hand, well, who, who's sitting, sitting at the right hand of God into heaven. Also, Paul says in um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So why did Jesus uh, die, die and go to Hades? He went to preach to the wicked and he also went to rescue the saints. Thirdly, he went to achieve a victory. So the third reason he went to Hades was to achieve a victory over death and Hades. Jesus said that the gates of Hades would not overcome his church in Matthew 16, verse 18. Peter preached at Pentecost, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God would not abandon his servant to Hades, but would raise him up triumphantly. John had a vision of the exalted Jesus and was comforted when he said, this is in the book of Revelation, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So what we can say is that when Jesus descended to the dead, he went there as part of his victory over death. Uh, the other part was him dying on the cross and rising again and ascending into heaven. But 
He descended and he rose. And those days, that time in Hades was part of that victory. The doors of death in Hades and Hades and the gates of Hades do not rule over us anymore. Death could not hold him and Hades could not keep him. Jesus had defeated death in Hades and as a result, death and Hades now submit to him. Now, we often think of um, when we're thinking just about Jesus and his life and death and res- resurrection in terms of a kind of a, an image like this. We often think, you know, there's um, the Son of God. He descends to earth in his incarnation, lives his life on earth, dies on the cross and then rises again um, in the tomb um, and uh, after, after his resurrection and in his ascension, he rises into heaven. Um, but um, what this part of the creed saying that he descended to dead shows us is that this is really the journey of Jesus. That actually the journey of the Son of God was to earth and then to Hades. And in, his final, uh, in this final descent, he, he completes his downward elevator journey into the human condition of isolation from God. This is the last outpost of his quest in, in Hades. The farthest he would go in his humiliation as the suffering sa- saviour. But then he's, he comes out of that place, back to earth, and then ascends into heaven. This is the cosmic U-turn, which um, J.R.R. Tolkien calls um, the U-catastrophe. Uh, it's the sudden reversal in a story that leads to a longed-for but unexpected happy ending. This is the clu- conclusion against all the odds that inspires our hearts that um, the world's destiny will not be death and destruction towards which we seem to be, be heading. The eucatastrophe is that out of Hades, he went back to earth and then ascended to heaven. This is the victorious journey of Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean for us? It, 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 what it means for us is comfort. The fact that Jesus Christ descended to the dead is important because it gives us profound comfort as we think about our own death. He experienced death in every way that a human experiences death, but he defeated it. Death isn't natural. It's not what's supposed to happen. It's an effect of the fall. It's a consequence of human sin. God said to Adam, after he sinned, for dust you, ca- you are, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Jesus became fully human to such an extent that he even experienced everything there is to experience in death. He didn't just close his eyes on the cross and drop dead and instantly rise three, three days later. He stayed dead for three days. Now, in this time of COVID-19, we hear stories of death every day. And perhaps as we face our own death, or perhaps as we um, mourn or grieve for close ones in our lives who are facing death or who have recently died, Jesus' descent to the dead is a great comfort. We can be sure that he has gone before us. He has gone into the state of being dead in its fullest sense. His soul was separated from his body for three days. And this is what will happen to us as our souls remain separated from our bodies until the day that Jesus returns. Just as the Ark of the Covenant went before the people of Israel, 
through the wilderness for three days to find a place for them to rest. So Jesus has gone before us through the wilderness of Hades to prepare a place for us to rest in him. And because he defeated death, death death doesn't win. Death doesn't have the last word. And one day he will get rid of death completely. Now in the ancient church, they were so confident of Christ's victory over death that they used to do these weird things. Like they used to get together for prayer meetings in tombs. They would have worship services in the catacombs amongst the bones of the dead. And when martyrs were killed for their faith, the early Christians would hold them up in the air and parade them through the streets like trophies. They even placed the dead right at the centre of their public worship services. So the earliest church buildings were basically enormous mausoleums built over the remains of the martyrs. When new believers were preparing for baptism, their baptism classes uh, were in the presence of dead tombs. So they'd stand around the tombs and they would receive instruction on how to be a Christian. I mean, what a reminder. Perhaps we should do that again today. Go down to the Melbourne Cemetery. Why did they do all this? Because of the hope that they had in Jesus' victory over death and Hades. In the 4th century, Athanasius compared the martyrs to children who play with a lion in the desert. He said, If you see children playing with a lion, don't you know that the lion must be either dead or completely powerless? In the same way, when you see Christ's believers playing with death and despising it, there can be no doubt that death has been destroyed by Christ and that its corruption has been dissolved and brought to an end. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, death itself was altered. And now, says Athanasius, we no longer die as those condemned, but as those who will arise. Now, don't get me wrong, death is still horrible. Knowing Christ's victory over death won't stop Christians from fearing death and for being worried about death. We will still grieve and we should grieve when we lose our lost ones, loved ones. Jesus grieved when he lost his friend Lazarus um, dead in the tomb. We're still overwhelmed when we face our own death, but we do not grieve like those without hope. I've had the privilege of conducting many funerals and many funerals of strong Christian people. And the strange thing that happens, assuming that the person hasn't died in um, tragic circumstances, but you know has lived a good long life and, and so on, it's often the case that these funerals are full of joy and hope. And even I've seen laughing, not laughing at the death, but laughing in joy of the, the person's life and the way God had worked in their life. And hope shines through the grief. We hope because in the words of Darlene Check, in the bridge of shout to the Lord, death could not hold him down for he is risen. So to conclude, we hope because he stayed in the grave for three days for our sake. We hope because our great advocate experienced death and did so victoriously, rising from it and raising us up on the last day. So as we prepare to die, we face east 
where the Son of Man will one day appear, as it says in Matthew. We face east knowing that as our bodies waste away in the ground, our souls are held safe with Christ. And we wait for that day when the trumpets sound and we live with him forever. The theologian Charles Hill says it this way, Christ descended into Hades so that you and I would not have to. Christ descended to Hades so that we might ascend to heaven. Christ entered the realm of death, the realm of the strong enemy, and came away with his keys. The keys of death and Hades are now in our Saviour's hands, and God, his Father, has exalted him to his right hand and given him another key, the key of David, the key to the heavenly Jerusalem. He opens and no one will shut. He shuts and no one will open. And praise to him as the hymn says, for he hath opened the heavenly door and man is blessed forevermore. Friends, the forces of nature pull all creatures and human beings on a journey from birth to death. But by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our journey is in the opposite direction. Our journey starts with death and ends with birth. At the beginning, we are baptised into Christ's death. At the end, we are born into the life of the resurrection. We are born as though dying and we die as those who are being born. As Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Amen. Let's read the Apostles' Creed out together. Well, good morning. Oop, a bit early there. Let's read the Apostles' Creed out together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.